Welcome to the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. I'm Ari Hoffman. Today I'm dressed a little differently, if you may have noticed. I'm wearing my work gear for my company, Amusements on Demand. Why? Because yesterday Governor Jay Inslee extended the shutdown order for Washington State with no end date, with no timetable. He keeps saying the words data, science, science, data, and isn't actually producing any. The best thing he did was put up a graph of a bunch of dials which claim to represent stuff, but my teenager could have done a project like that if he didn't have the information at his disposal just to make his teacher think he actually did his work. That's what it reminded me of. This thing is not thought out at all. There's no plan for reopening. I've seen the plan that you're all going to say, oh, he has a plan for reopening. It's not a plan. It's a, yeah, maybe we'll do this. Did you notice that across the country, the states that are opening have a certain party as leadership and the states that are not opening have a certain party of leadership? You ever question about why that is? No, it's not the party of data and science. If it was the party of data and science, there wouldn't be 72 genders. Let's call this thing a spade. Uh, the a spade a spade. If you think about this for a second, when the death rates, when the case rates come out, how many genders do they talk about? Okay, good. Let's move on from there for a second. Let's think about the data and science of this whole thing. This whole thing has not been data-driven. It was driven by a UW study that has been proven to be 50 to 100 times worse than what actually happened. Now, you want to say, oh, that's because of social distancing and stuff? No, that was all factored into the model. But here's something else. This is all, this was all for flattening the curve. That's what we were told, to take the, the impact off our medical system. And we did that. In fact, so much so that when the National Guard set up a facility at CenturyLink Field, nobody came. The hospitals are not overwhelmed. In fact, the regional hospitals are begging for people to come because they can't do elective procedures so you can come and be taken care of for coronavirus, but if you have cancer, if you have any other problems, you can't be taken care of. Think about the medical problem that is setting up for the future where kids aren't getting vaccinated, people aren't dealing with the health problems they have. What kind of health crisis are we going to have coming out of this? Think about that for a second. What's going to happen when these kids go back to school and they're not vaccinated? What's going to happen then? And here's something else. We're all assuming that there's going to be a vaccine. What if there isn't one? We have plenty of diseases out there we don't have vaccines for. And here's something else. The thing is mutating. And since the thing is mutating, now that means every vaccine will not be effective on every single person if there is a vaccine. Just like the flu. I got a flu shot this year. I still had the flu, even though I'm convinced it was something else. So think about that for a second. But let's get back to why I'm wearing my work shirt today. Right before the governor's announcement, I got an email telling me to shut down my business. What is my business? I do bounce houses. I do event rentals. And... We have lost so much money, it's ridiculous. We didn't qualify for any of the loans because they ran out of money. And we didn't get our stimulus checks yet. Nothing. So the government's saying, yeah, we know we shut you down and put you out of business. Here's $1,200 that you may or may not see. Thanks, guys. Anytime I do a job, I get another email telling me that another job asked for a refund because they forgot that they had booked this thing and they had a party coming up and they're not having the party anymore. So basically right now I'm just paying off debt and I'm not doing very well at that. So I want to keep working. Why do I want to keep working? Because what other choice do I have? I'm doing all the social distancing measures that are required. I'm doing everything I possibly can to ensure that my clients are safety. We disinfect the bounce houses. We don't go near them. We have them sign everything digitally. So what am I doing wrong? Really, what am I doing wrong? I've had enough of playing this game. Right now, this is political. Why can pot stores be open and not gun stores? Guns are guaranteed by the Second Amendment. There's no amendment for pot yet. Why? Why can they be working on key arena for the new hockey team when there's no hockey season, 
but other people can't be working. Why is Boeing allowed to operate and I'm not? Why is Amazon allowed to deliver toys and games, but I'm not allowed to? This is all arbitrary. I will not comply. I've had enough. I'm sure you have too. This is ridiculous already. If there's a plan, I'm all on board with the plan. But here's where it gets worse. When this whole thing happened, I appealed to have my company declared essential. Six weeks, haven't heard anything. Not a yes, not a no. Here's something else. When this eventually came down that they were shutting everything down, I knew I had to do my annual inspection or I would lose my insurance, I would lose my licensing to operate, so I begged labor and industries for an extension. They said no. So they forced me to bring my employees back to work where we wouldn't be social distancing because you can't the way we do these inspections, where we're next to each other rolling these things up because we have to do all the big ones, which I'm not renting out right now to backyard parties. And they, um, they made us come in for those. I said, so if you're going to make me do this, why can't I go back to work? And they didn't have an answer for that. So I went back to work. And the worst part is I know who reported my company. Somebody asked me to deliver a bounce house for a family that's having a lot of medical problems in and out of the hospital to, you know, watch their kids, take care of their kids. And I said, sure, I'd be happy to. And I dropped the thing off and I heard the neighbors discussing reporting me. I knew it was them. And the worst part is I'm an Orthodox Jew and this was a Jewish family that reported me. I now understand, and I had trouble my whole life understanding how Jews could turn on each other in Nazi Germany. I now understand how that's possible, and it makes me sad. It makes me really, really sad, because here I was trying to help out a family, and somebody reported me. I wasn't doing anything wrong. I was socially distancing. I was wearing gloves. We were disinfecting everything, doing everything right, and somebody reported me. That's what things have come to. So right now I'm going to tell you people are not going to stay locked up in their houses. They just won't. They won't continue to do this. They can't go to the parks because the homeless people have taken over the parks or they've shut down the parks. How can this continue? It really can't. People are losing their minds. This is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And more people are going to say, I'm not complying. I will not comply with this. You want to come after me? You obviously know where to find me. I got that email from your office. And my favorite is when I called your office. And there wasn't anybody there to answer the phones. You had staffed it out to some guy from another government agency who was working the phones and didn't even have a supervisor for me to talk to. He had nobody for me to talk to. So who, where's my recourse? Then the governor has partnered us with Colorado, California, and Oregon to make the decision about reopening. I didn't vote for anybody in Colorado, California, or Oregon. Why do they get to make that decision for me? That's not equitable. Why is mass transit still running? You want to say because the essential workers get there? Well, the homeless are riding it with no destination just to stay warm. And they are mostly asymptomatic. We saw a study of the prisoners, and we're finding out that 96% of them are asymptomatic in the prisoners across the country. We're finding out that the majority of homeless people in Boston, in New York, in California are asymptomatic. So they're carrying this disease, riding the transit along with our essential workers, and mass transit still open, still open, still running. You could have used the VIA program. The VIA program, which is that first and last mile thing, those are minivans. You could have had those transport people. You could have used the motor pool. You could have lent out motor pool vehicles. You could have worked out rental deals with the money you would have saved on mass transit for the essential workers. But no, you didn't do any of that because this really isn't about this. It's about picking winners and losers. Who's going to come out of this on the other side? Who do we deem essential? Which businesses do we want to survive? Newsflash, guys, if there's no businesses paying in, there's no tax revenue for you. You can tax as many people as you want, but if people don't have the money to pay you, they can't. 
Then we talk about the homeless, getting back to this for a second. Even New York City is acknowledging what's happening on the subways. The picture on the Daily News of tons of garbage of people hauling their entire belongings down to the subway system. That's what's going on in New York. It's happening here, too. We discussed it. Look at the parks in Seattle. Since Seattle shut down the navigation team, which dealt with the homeless issue, these parks and these encampments have been growing exponentially. Exponentially. This isn't helping anybody. This is leaving people to die, picking winners and losers. So campsites are closed, but urban camping is okay. Please explain that one to me. I don't understand it. I've had enough of this inequity, to use a word from the woke left. I've had enough of picking winners and losers. I am following the CDC guidelines, and the guys I saw building the light rail on the Mercer Island floating bridge, the I-90 bridge the other day, weren't. They're sharing tools. They're not wearing masks. They're not social distancing. I'm doing all that, and they're not. So why are they allowed to operate and I'm not? If you can give me an answer, I'd love to hear it. Anybody who's listening to the show, please message me. Tell me your answer for it. Because I'll tell you at this point, it's political. It may have been started with the best of intentions, but at this point, our politicians realize they're up for re-election and they can't campaign in this environment. And as long as they have the microphone to themselves, as long as they have the camera to themselves, they will get re-elected. I guarantee you all incumbents get re-elected this year. That's my prediction for right now. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen, unfortunately. No matter what you want, I think Jay Inslee, unfortunately, is going to get reelected because nobody else can campaign. And I like the other candidates that are running. We're going to interview some of them today. I'm really worried that if they don't do something to get themselves in the spotlight, that Jay Inslee is going to win again. I'm very, very concerned about this. And notice that when the person has the D next to their name, they're not actually following the science or the data. They're doing this because of politics. For whatever reason that is, you want to assign whatever agenda it is to them, that is what's going on now. It is political. It is not about you. It is not about safety. It is no longer about that. There is no plan. For all those government workers that have not been furloughed, that have not been laid off, even though all of us have been, there, well, you would think one of them could have come up with a plan to reopen business, to let businesses function safely. There are plenty of responsible people out there who can function safely. We're doing it, and we weren't even told to do it. So I will not comply. I will not comply with the shutdown order. You know where I am. You know where to find me. Come stop me. This is coming to your city. It's probably there already. Don't say I didn't warn you. Coming up, we have an interview with Tim Iman, gubernatorial candidate. We also have our Hidden Gems category and so much more on the Canary and a Coal Mine podcast. See you after a brief word from our sponsor. I am your host, Ari Hoffman. I am joined today by gubernatorial candidate Tim Iman. Tim, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, appreciate you having me on, man. This is awesome. Awesome. So I have a few questions for you. The first one I have okay. is you did a press conference recently where you declared that you were running as a Republican. Now, my question is, why didn't you come out of the gate and say that? Do you think it's wise to run as a Republican in Washington state? Why do you think this deserves the coverage that it got? Why do you think this is such a big deal? Well, I mean, it was I'm my hometown of Yakima. I was born and raised in Yakima. Uh, ended up going over to Wazoo, got a business degree, and then obviously came over to the west side of the state where things are a little bit different <laughs> on the east side of the state. Uh, but but obviously my upbringing was much more conservative uh, because it is Yakima after all. I mean, this is a county that overwhelmingly has voted for every initiative I've ever gotten on the ballot, even the ones that lost. But when I first launched, uh, it was literally within two days of launching. They were like, well, what party do you run a, want to run under? And I said, I honestly hadn't even given it much thought because for 20 years I've been doing initiatives and never asking anybody, well, what party are you? And so therefore I only want certain kinds of people voting for my initiatives. I was always in this view of 
well, hey, I'm obviously an independent. But what happened was once I launched as an independent, all my Republican friends were like, are you kidding me? You have to run as a Republican because that's the best way for you to be able to beat Jay Inslee. We have basically a two-party state where if you're not either an R or a D, people just don't take your campaign seriously. So, I mean, to be honest with you, it was like I got so much positive feedback from people saying, we want you to run as a Republican. These are people I've known for 20 years. I've been in their houses. And, you know, I like to believe that I'm going to run as a representative of the people. And when that many of my supporters are saying this is what you ought to do, I felt like it was the right decision. And so far, the feedback I've gotten was it was the right move. Now, so something interesting with your initiative history for my listeners and viewers who don't necessarily know about it, what can you tell us? It seems that for years you've been doing initiatives to repeal taxes, to get rid of taxes, to be anti-tax, which is my kind of language. And people may know you now because it seems like the entire campaign to stop the $30 car tabs was geared at targeting you. So what can you tell us about your history of anti-tax initiatives? Well, uh, let me go back even a little bit further. So it was the mid-90s. Uh, my wife and I, we didn't have kids yet. And, uh, and I wasn't ever politically active my entire life. And then we're living in Green Lake, right there in Seattle. And I hear about this sports stadium vote that's coming up where the legislature is about to and the local officials are about to build this big $400 million sports stadium. And I heard about there was going to be a local initiative to be able to let the people vote on it. And so I'm not like a leader of it or anything, but I just, I go to a meeting, I see Dave Ross from Cairo Radio giving a speech and, and he says, shouldn't we let the voters have some voice in this decision? And so I went down to Green Lake, got 100 signatures, we got the initiative qualified for the ballot, Seattle voters voted no. And I was like very empowered. It's like, wow, the voters have spoken. And then the legislature calls an emergency session of the legislature and said, unless we overturn the will of the people and build it anyway, it's going to be a threat to the public health and safety. That was my baptism of fire of how much our elected representatives really listened to us. So that was my first initiative experience. And then from there, I did an initiative to limit affirmative action, uh, limit car tabs, limit property taxes. I've been doing them for 21 years, and every one of them. Uh, is a different topic, but if you look at thematically, they're all about limiting government power because I just really have uh, uh, a deep aversion to concentrated power, whether it's big business, big labor, uh, the media, uh, the legislature, our politicians, that consolidated power or all decisions are being made by one or two people or a handful of people. I really have a big problem with that. So initiatives was my way to empower voters and give them a greater voice. So I voted for your initiative. I'm paying a ridiculous amount of money on my cars, which is the interesting thing about the initiative that is taxing our cars right now to pay for sound transit is that it's evaluating cars which depreciates and instead appreciating them. So every year it gets more and more expensive for an asset that everybody knows depreciates the second you drive it out of the showroom. So I find that ridiculous. I definitely voted for it. Do you think that the opponents of this bill made a colossal error by making it about you, who most people didn't know who it was, rather than actually trying to argue the merits of their ballot measure. It wasn't any different than any other campaign we've ever had. Uh, our opponents for 20 years have tried to say, vote no on this initiative because Tim Iman's a bad guy. And most people just don't care who I am uh, and, and concentrate on what the initiative did. But you're right, it was more dramatic last year when they spent $5 million and their entire campaign theme was vote no on $30 tabs because Tim Iman's a bad guy. 
and I think I'm a pretty good guy, but whether you think I'm a good guy or a bad guy, I don't know if it matters that much, you're voting on $30 tabs. But one of the things that came up quite a bit during that campaign was I was attacked a lot for all sorts of stuff. You know, you stole a chair, uh, you got campaign finance problems, uh, you're recently uh, getting attacked by the attorney general's office, you're really under siege here. And I just found that more and more voters were like, man, he must be doing something right because they really seem to be bent out of shape over this guy. And I found more and more people getting to know me and getting uh, more comfortable with me. And I think that they saw that I was getting ganged up on. And if anything, it seemed to energize me. And like you said, may have been a tactical mistake. They didn't know I was thinking about running for governor. But, but once we won and won overwhelmingly on election night, we were just elated over it but it ended up becoming where, did the voters just vote for Tim Iman just as much as they did for $30 tabs? It kind of asked that question. And a couple of weeks later, once they sued the voters because they didn't like the outcome of the election, it was that, that impetus that really got me into the race. And this podcast is really about warning other cities about things that are coming their way. That's why I call Canary in mm. the coal mine. People don't realize, just to give a little back history, pretty much what happens is they have this crazy initiative on the ballot during a down election year where most people don't realize what they're voting for, which gives complete power to sound transit, to tax us, to spend the money however they want on mass transit systems that very few people use. Mm -hmm. And now we're the ones paying for it and it's gotten so bad that just for example, I have a 2018 Dodge Charger, I have a 2018 um, Chevy truck, and I have a 2014 um, SUV for my wife. And I think I'm paying over $2,000 a year in car tax for these vehicles that are now years old. It's ridiculous. So. FYI, this could be coming to your city. Don't say I didn't warn you. Now, Tim, you mentioned that you <laughs> and, were thinking And, and Ari, just to highlight your point sure. that you made earlier, these are artificially inflated values for your vehicle. So if you think you have a $10,000 vehicle and you're going to be worth, be taxed at $10,000, that's not the way the system works. The law is if your $10,000 car is worth $10,000 under Kelly Blue Book, the state is taxing you as if it's worth like twenty or 25000 So it's artificially inflating the amount that they're taking from you. And I think that's why voters were so upset about it. Uh, they spent $5 million. We spent literally nothing on our side because my wife and I, we had sold off our retirement fund and we loaned the campaign a half a million just to be able to help the initiative get on the ballot. Once we were on the ballot, we literally had nothing. So it was truly David versus Goliath. They had tons of money, media, everybody beating the crap out of me every step of the way. And all I did was just go out there, take the hits, and because I've been pretty battle tested after 20 years and and stepped forward and said, hey, voters, this is the right thing to do. You ought to vote for this and on election night. I just can't tell you what a euphoric feeling it was being there with my daughter, who's just as much in this stuff as I am. And I have brought her to all the fairs. We got signatures together. And my favorite moment of the evening is she's about to leave. And she says, Dad, I'm just so happy it passed. And what it told me was she didn't care about me. She had a vested interest in the issue. And I think voters feel the same way. They almost feel insulted when they think, well, you're attacking Iman like Iman's telling me how to vote. I'm not voting for this thing because Iman told me to. It's my own value system made me think that this was the right thing to do. And that ownership that people have for these initiatives, I don't think our opponents have never appreciated that. They just figure, well, it's Iman versus all of us. And it's like, no, it's all of us against a handful of people that have a lot of money convincing voters to vote no. 
and voters saying, I don't care about your advice. I'm going to vote because this is something that fits my value system. I agree 100%, especially when you think they installed this sound transit, this light rail system. They didn't put in turnstiles. You see mm. a little marketing on the thing. So now they want to make it free for everybody. So it's up to you and me to pay for this boondoggle that they did. It makes absolutely no sense. So moving on from the car tabs, I was looking around at your website and with everything going on with coronavirus, especially here in Washington state, where it seems like the governor is never going to let us go back to work. Let's say you get elected tomorrow, you're in office. How do you fix what is going on right now? What plans would you put in place in order to mitigate the effects on business, on people? What would you be doing differently than the governor did? What he, what's done is done. We can't fix that. So yeah. now you've inherited this mess. Where do we go from here? It's a really good question, and it's really the only one that's relevant. Uh, I get the question all the time, you know, what would you have done differently and, and, and stuff like that. It's like, those are interesting questions, but really, what's coming up? If elected, what we're facing is Jay Inslee, by throwing a monkey wrench into our economy, has effectively made it where every state and local government in the state of Washington is going to be dealing with a radical reduction in revenue. I mean, I think it's horrible that businesses are getting slaughtered, and I you know, hate the fact that families are getting disrupted. Those are all awful things. But as governor, one of the things you got to do is you have to adopt some kind of budget. And Jay Inslee has literally left Olympia with about $55 billion. And because of what he did, it may very well be $40 billion. It may drop that level of revenue. And the pressure on the next legislature to raise taxes is going to be something like we've never seen before. And there have been pushing for an income tax forever. Jay Inslee's been pushing for a carbon tax forever. Jay Inslee's pushing for the pay-per-mile tax forever. These are the kind of proposals that he's going to say, well, we kind of have no choice. We have to do that. And I've said since day one that we need to make sure that we have a governor that's going to veto any tax increase any tax increase. I want to make sure that no matter what, that we don't take a bad situation and make it worse by somehow thinking we're going to tax ourselves to prosperity. The difference between Jay Inslee for four more years, if he's validated for what he's just got through doing, and he's, oh, everyone's okay with going from 55 billion to 40 billion, the next four years, it's going to be a tax hiking extravaganza that's just going to make this bad situation exponentially worse. I would talk about prioritizing existing revenues, focusing on the things that we really truly need. The one area Jay Inslee actually underfunded was public health. And what an amazing coincidence that the one thing we really needed the most was the one area that he decided not to spend money on. Uh, so really when you think about it, Olympia is taxes and spending. They do some other bills on all sorts of topics and they're all important to everybody, but Taxes and spending is pretty much what Olympia does. And the contrast between Jay Inslee, who said he would never raise taxes, would veto taxes, and in eight years raise taxes 30 different times, that it's going to cost the taxpayers over $50.6 billion over the next 10 years. His agenda is tax hiking. Me, I've done 17 initiatives that limits government power. Voters approved 11 of them, and they've saved taxpayers about $43 billion over the last 20 years. So the contrast between Jay Inslee is going to raise your taxes. I'm going to make sure that you that I either lower your taxes or at least make sure that the tax burden doesn't go higher. And yes, I will deliver $30 tabs like no other because I've been fighting for it for 22 years. I'm sure as heck not going to allow any legislative session to get out of there without implementing that. So this is news to you, what I'm about to tell you. I just found this out today. I did a public disclosure request. 
and found out that the reason we are now having online schools in the Seattle Public School mm. is because Amazon, Microsoft, Xerox decided to donate to the Seattle Public Schools without being asked. All the technology, Xfinity set up hotspots, CenturyLink did it. And meanwhile, Seattle Public Schools, for example, was saying we couldn't do it because of inequity. They didn't look mm. at cutting their budgets. They didn't look at any of that kind of stuff. Plus, we found out yesterday that Seattle Public Schools is now planning for there not to be school in the fall. They're planning for online learning, and they said that themselves on a Facebook wow. post. So you're in charge, let's say. What mm -hmm. do you do and what do you tell parents that are losing their minds like me because our kids are stuck at home? What do you tell parents is the safe way to return to schools, to get the schools up and running again? Because this just cannot go on. It, it really is crazy. Uh, one of the aspects of the lawsuit that's being filed uh, tomorrow in federal court where we're suing Jay Inslee over this shutdown, under, over this lockdown, is the very concept of, you just got through telling us for the last three or four years, the paramount duty of the state of Washington, of government, is the education of children. Yet your shutdown has made it where children can't learn. They're not actually in school. Teachers that are got massive pay raises, and God bless them, they're great people. They got massive pay raises, but they're not actually having to teach anybody, but they're still getting paid. To me, it does seem insane to have an entire uh, education system that's built around this paramount duty, and yet we've shut the entire thing uh, down. I think it's time for kids to go back to school. I think that we need to implement the same kind of safety requirements that you've got at a Walmart and a Lowe's and those kind of things. There's simply no reason why you have to sacrifice your liberty and a strong economy in order to be able to have safety. I mean, God help me, if I can walk into a 7-Eleven and buy a monster, which is just filled with more caffeine than any coffee you're going to have, if I can trust the 7-Eleven worker to hand that can to me, I think I can trust a teacher to teach a child whether or not to be able to read and to be able to write. And I'm really concerned about seniors in high school that are about to go into a very rigorous learning environments like UW or Wazoo or Stanford and all that. And they're not being, you know, given a rigorous curriculum right now. They're being robbed of their educational future and their, their career futures. But as you pointed out, Forget about the kids for a second. These parents are going crazy. I mean, I'm getting so many parents calling me going, it's Lord of the Flies around my house right now. Kids are just running wild. And nobody's learning. You know, my wife isn't going to teach them, you know, and I don't have the patience for it. I mean, teachers have a skill. They have a, we have a need to have teachers and teacher interaction. You can't Zoom learning. It just doesn't work that way. And you've got to be able to bring that back around again. And, and my priority would be to, use the taxes we just got through taxing ourselves because of McCleary to actually teach children and not to substitute it for Amazon and Xerox and Microsoft. Uh, that's not a substitute for the personal interaction you get with a teacher. That's what they're hired to do. All right, Tim. So I appreciate you being with us. If people want to find out more about you, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? What's the best way for them to donate, to volunteer, any of that to your campaign? Well, I appreciate that. Uh, we were, uh, Ari and I were joking about this, that we hope that you guys have good dyslexia because you'll be able to read this all backwards. But this is uh, Tim Iman, uh, Fearless Leadership, uh, Proven Results. And there's a text message on there that you can send. It's 888-111, 888-111. Text the name Tim to me, and then you'll be automatically signed up for our email updates. So it's 
uh, text the name Tim to me and you'll be signed up for our email updates. Best way to keep informed. He'll tell you about our lettuce fish efforts, uh, fighting Inslee on that, the lawsuit that we're filing in federal court. Uh, there's been so many battles on the Second Amendment, fighting against those kinds of things. So that's the best way to do it. There also is a website. It's Tim and the number four, GOV.com. Tim, the number four, uh, GOV.com. But uh, uh, $3 tabs, I'm for governor. Uh, I really thought after less 21 years of doing initiatives that, wow, this is going to be quite a transition running for office. It feels exactly the same. It's just that instead of pushing a stock, I'm pushing a mutual fund. Instead of pushing one idea, I'm pushing lots of them. And the lots of ideas are, I mean, let's go through them. You know, I would veto any tax increase. I would veto any attack on the Second Amendment because I think Inslee and Ferguson have made it just their hobby to do nothing but that. Uh, I can't stop whoever the next attorney general is from continually suing the Trump administration. <laughs> I can cut their budget uh, to make sure that they only you know, try and focus on Washington state issues and not constantly do this freelancing stuff. Uh, $30 tabs, absolutely. And I think fundamentally, the biggest thing I would say is that Inslee seems to enjoy the power. He seems to be comfortable with it. He doesn't seem to have any reservations about it. He doesn't show any remorse. The fact that he fired effectively half a million people, not an ounce of empathy for regular people that dishwashers and servers in a restaurant are fired. And he basically tries to shame you into not, you know, feeling guilty that you want to be able to earn a living and be able to earn a paycheck and not a check from the government. The biggest difference you would see is that I'm not comfortable making all the decisions. We're still going to have probably a Seattle oriented legislature. We're still going to have a Seattle oriented Supreme Court. I want to have just at least one branch of government that's thinking about like everybody else in the state other than Seattle. And I even think I'm not alienating a lot of Seattle voters because I'd say probably about 25, 30% of Seattle voters are kind of sick of Seattle too, uh, making all the decisions and make, calling all the shots. And the model that I'm really following is the $30 tabs campaign where we lost big in Seattle, but we overwhelmingly run in the rest of the state because the rest of the state said, gosh darn it, I want my $30 tabs. And so uh, my campaign for governor is basically, you've been voting for my stuff for 20 years and the courts have found ways to get around them and the legislature found ways to get around them. I can make sure that all the ideas that you keep voting for will actually happen uh, where, where I can't do that as an initiative activist. So uh, I don't feel like there's anything different I'm doing right now other than I'm wearing a suit and tie now rather than wearing t-shirts. That's kind of the only difference uh, between the two. And instead of pushing one idea, we're pushing lots of them, you know, protecting the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, uh, $30 tabs, uh, the lawsuit saying some voters are essential, some are not essential. I'm doing everything I can to essentially prove to you that I would be an activist governor that wouldn't be constrained by, well, you're the governor, why would you monkey around with what Edmonds is doing or Bellingham is doing on the Second Amendment? It's like, if they're violating our constitutional rights, I think we should get involved. And you'd obviously have a lot more influence as governor as you would, you know, a loudmouth activist. Awesome. Well, thanks, Tim. I really appreciate you being with us. And don't say Tim Iman didn't warn you about Jay Inslee. What happens if he gets reelected again? We will be back. We will be back after these words from our sponsor. Tim, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Ari. 
Welcome back to the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. So since I have very little going on at home right now or at work, I am doing a lot of public disclosure requests. Public disclosure requests is when you find out what government officials are hiding from you. I'm sorry, not hiding from you, what they're doing and can audit them accordingly. So I did a bunch of the public school system. I wanted to see why they decided to close school in April for the rest of the year. And they haven't been able to produce any data. So I asked for the data on those decisions. Instead, they sent me the email chains used to establish the messaging for the closure. Not what I was looking for, but it did reveal something interesting. Democrat politicians in Washington State and Seattle love to demonize big tech companies as not paying their fair share, as not giving back, as not being generous, as punishing people. The public schools originally announced that they would not have online schools. There was massive pushback from parents and from kids and from teachers and from a lot of other people, and they eventually caved. But the original reason they said they weren't having school was because of inequity, that certain kids couldn't afford the technology. Let's be real, every kid has a cell phone, whether they can afford it or not, it's social status. Number two, tons of tech companies give donations all the time. Number three, there are millions of dollars not being spent in the public school budget right now. For example, they're not renting for me right now because schools are closed. They're not spending the money on sports. They're not renting fields. They're not doing any of that kind of stuff. They're not buying materials. Tons of money is being saved. I found $62 million in the Seattle school budget alone that could have gone to technology. But here's something interesting. The public schools reversed their position about two weeks into the declaration that there would be no online schooling. And people wondered why. Well, in one of those emails, it says that Amazon, Microsoft, Xerox, T-Mobile, Xfinity, CenturyLink all donated without being asked so much so that they didn't know what to do with all stuff because they had more than they needed. You can thank big tech for the reason that your kids are back in school. Yes, I know they're evil and horrible and they do horrible things like create jobs and give us tax revenue. But you know what? They're the reason your kids are back in school. The teachers unions were fighting for you not to have your kids in school. They were using excuses like, well, from the Zoom background, the kid may know where I live. Can you, can you tell where I live from all that back there? I mean, on one side, I got a newspaper that's from Hawaii. And on the other side, I got something that talks about Shea Stadium in New York Mets. It doesn't exist anymore. Can you tell where I live from all that? Really? Anybody? No? I mean, I know there's a picture of my family in Star Wars costumes back there, but really? Can you tell where I live from all that? Another one, this was my personal favorite, that students might make GIFs or memes out of their teachers using the Zoom material. You think they're not doing that already when you allow cell phones in the classroom? The ridiculous absurdity. Teachers are telling me that the unions are actually advocating for them not to go back to work. And here's a little bombshell that got dropped on everybody. Seattle Public Schools, in an online conversation the other day about the future of schooling in Seattle, announced that there may not be school in the fall and that they are already preparing for distance learning and for online learning. That's four months away. A week is like a year during this whole thing. Where's the data to back any of that up? I actually said to the person who sent me all this stuff that I requested, hey, um, where's the Zoom recordings? Because it says here you had all these Zoom conversations. Where's the Zoom recordings? And they said, oh, we shut down the recording feature because of privacy laws. I'm like, it's open meetings laws. You have to document everything. But they didn't. So I have some requests in for more of the data. I'll let you know when I find any of it. But right now, just realize all this is being done behind your back. Where is the accountability? This is coming to your school system if it isn't there already. Don't say I didn't warn you. Coming up, we have our hidden gems category and so much more on the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. Welcome back to the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. 
if you're enjoying the show. Remember, like it, share it, subscribe to it, rate it. If you're not liking the show, remember, like it, share it, subscribe to it. I'll take anybody who wants to watch a show, no problem, because haters only get me more views, clicks, and likes. So please, I welcome you to come on the show. Those of you who like it, happy to have a conversation with anybody, no matter what you want to talk about, as long as you come to that conversation in good faith. So, in our Hidden Gems category this week, I want to discuss the TV show Stranger Things on Netflix, which I just started watching with my son. My 12-year-old son wanted to watch it. So far, it seems appropriate. Haven't seen anything, you know, that parents should be worried about. I don't know what comes up later. Haven't watched the whole thing yet. But what's interesting about it, it's very nostalgic. It reminds me of Super 8, that movie Super 8. Not didn't come out that long ago. It's a lot like the Goonies meets Super 8. The characters are great. The writing is great. The acting is great. I love it. It reminds me a lot about that movie Super 8, which I really, really enjoyed, which was made by J.J. Abrams a few years back. Speaking of the Goonies, the Goonies did a reunion with Josh Gad from Frozen on uh, social distancing on excuse me, on Zoom, and it was amazing. Go check it out. I don't want to spoil anything for you, but definitely go check that out. But once again, Stranger Things on Netflix is a lot of fun. Very 80s retro, brings back a lot of memories for those of you who grew up in that era. My kids love it. I love it. We're watching it together. Hopefully it stays appropriate the whole time. Seems like a bit of a horror show, so I'm surprised that my kid, who's a little bit scared, likes that kind of stuff. But it's fun. I enjoy it. And I think you will, too, so check it out. We'll see you next time on the Canary in a Coal Mine podcast. Please stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll see you then.